Hey there, and welcome to Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. I'm your host, Amanda, and I am so glad that you joined me today. This podcast is for neurodivergence by a neurodivergent. I'm an ADHD coach with ADHD and ASD, and I am here to help. So let's spend some time together now and maybe learn a few things. Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. I'm your host, Amanda. And this week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about special interests, hobbies, and hyperfixations, and what's the difference between them. But before we dive in, I did want to let you all know that this season of the podcast, I'm going to be releasing episodes about every other week, as opposed to doing a couple-week gap every five to six episodes. I'm also really excited to share about my upcoming social skills class taking place on September 17th and 18th from 1130 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to 3.30 p.m. each day. It's a really interactive course where not only will you be learning the skills, but you get to practice them with others too, and especially others who understand where you're coming from with these struggles. To sign up, you can hop on over on my website to sign up under the webinars tab, or you can email the lady at gmail.com. When you go on the website, you'll find that tickets start at $25 for access pricing and go up to the regular rate of $100. So pick which rate works for you and shoot me an email or sign up right there on the site. And make sure you're following me on Instagram because I will be giving away a couple of extra bonus coupons just to help you even more. Access to these tools is so important to me, so I want to make sure that they're there for you. So don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes, but also make sure that you stay in the know with my classes as well as ADHD and ASD tips and tricks by following me on my socials like Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all under the username the underscore ADHD underscore lady. More great stuff is coming out soon. But let's dive into this episode now. So as I said, for today's episode, we're going to be talking about the difference between special interests, hyperfixations, and hobbies. And as usual, when we're talking about different areas of ADHD and autism, you know that I love to share what the things we're discussing actually are. And then we get to dive a little bit deeper. And I love sharing my personal experience with this too. So let's start with a hyperfixation. This is defined as the moment when you're completely engrossed by something to the point where it can become all-consuming and disrupts your day-to-day functioning. Basically, this is all you can think about and all you want to do in that free time. The all-consuming piece is really important here since an ADHD hyperfixation really does tend to consume you. It can be overwhelming, actually, how much of your brain is taken up by that new thing that you're so excited about. And if you struggle with impulse control, then it can be really difficult for you to manage that hyperfixation. It may be the first thing that you run to in your free time, like social media or video games. Those can be hyperfixations. But an important note about hyperfixations is that they're constantly changing in some way. So you may have video games as a regular hobby or even a special interest, but the hyperfixation comes in when you've got a new game that you're playing or they just unlocked a new part of one of your favorite games. So now you're just fixated on, okay, how can I level up my character? How can I make this thing happen. Maybe the hyperfixation is even just the new group of people that you're playing with. You're so fixated on spending all of that free time playing the video game with them. But 
The way that they really differ from special interests is the length of time and intensity that the hyperfixation versus the special interest kind of take on. A hyperfixation normally doesn't last beyond a year. I mean, think about ADHDers. We don't have a massive attention span, do we? <laughs> so the usual time frame can be anywhere from a few hours, to just having an all-in deep dive of this one thing that you saw on TikTok and now you want to learn everything about it. But it can also go up to several days to weeks to six months to a year. And you might know that moment, that moment when all of a sudden you lose all interest in the thing where maybe you were so into painting and it was all you did on the weekends. You just wanted to go to classes and you watched YouTube videos and you spent all this money on supplies. And then one day your brain just sat there and went, yeah, no, we're not into painting anymore. It can almost be heartbreaking. I've had clients describe it to me as feeling like they've had a breakup because they consumed themselves with this really awesome thing for so long. And then all of a sudden, their brain just wanted nothing to do with it anymore. And deep down, they knew how much they liked it logically. They felt so attached to it, but the hyperfixation had passed for their ADHD. And it's not to say that we can't fade out of things like special interests, too. That's a whole nother area that we'll talk about. But as far as hyperfixations go, it really can vary, uh, especially, you know, based on if you have those other levels of hobbies or special interests. So for myself, for example, I usually become hyperfixated on... TV shows, or even certain crafts. So the overarching category of my special interest will be crafts, but then I get hyperfixations on all different types of crafts, especially during COVID. My gosh, the amount of different craft things that I tried because when we knew we were going into lockdown, I was like, okay, so I need to go to the grocery store and get some things. I need to go to the laundromat and get a whole bunch of stuff done. Oh, and then I'm going to go to Hobby Lobby and I'm going to buy a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and that's what I did. And that's how I learned about diamond painting. And that is where I got my first embroidery kit. Um, <laughs> that is where I was like, I'm going to learn how to draw, um, which I never did successfully before then, but my brain decided this was going to be a thing. So we're going to, we're going to try all of these new things. And in those first few weeks of the pandemic, oh my gosh, the amount of hours I spent doing diamond painting, full-blown hyperfixation because one, you could buy them really cheap on Amazon and they delivered right to your door. So that was a really nice feature about it. But also it gave me something to just be completely engrossed in, especially while I was just sitting there at home all by myself, day in and day out, me, the dog and the cat, that was it. So I would spend hours and hours on this hyperfixation. But at the end of the day, all of those fixations still went under the art craft umbrella that I have a special interest in. So what makes it a special interest then? Well, a special interest is defined in the DSM criteria for autism as highly restricted, fixated interests that are abnormal in intensity or focus. For example, a strong attachment to or preoccupation with unusual objects, excessively circumscribed or preservative interests. 
The representation of special interests in media for autistic people is usually things like in Atypical, he's really into penguins, right? That main character, the cis white male autistic boy. And yes, you can definitely have those special interests that fall into those categories that are a little more obscure. But when you are socialized female, you're actually more likely to have special interests that better align with the interests of your peers that are more socially acceptable because we're taught from a very young age, even just as females, to mask and hide parts of ourselves. So then when you add in the autism, um, we're definitely going to be masking and hiding a big piece of ourselves. And because a big part of masking is mirroring the behavior of others, we might see that some of our girlfriends growing up were really into Barbies. So, okay, I guess I should like Barbies. But here's where that abnormal intensity comes in. I really did love Barbies when I was a kid, but like I loved Barbies to the point where Uh, You know, I was very blessed that I was able to become this obsessive about it and had the support of my parents, but I had a whole playroom just filled to the brim with Barbies. Uh, We had a spare bedroom. That was where all my toys were. And I mean, I had a big Barbie house. I had buckets of clothing and furniture and accessories and so many different dolls. And my house was the one that my friends wanted to come to because of that, because They liked Barbies, but they had like a little child-sized suitcase filled with the Barbies, the clothes, the house, and all that stuff. Me? Yeah. Mine was abnormal in intensity. And even as an adult, Barbie is still an area of special interest for me. I still absolutely have a huge place in my heart for uh, Barbie. So I have a Barbie lounge fly backpack and it's got Malibu Barbie and Ken and Skipper and Teresa and Summer and all of them all over it. And it's wonderful and I love it. And it still feeds into that special interest that I developed as a child. But not every special interest that I had growing up still exists to this day. A large portion of them do. Or at the very least, even if they're not something that I'm still very engrossed in um, to that like extreme level, it might just be something that I still find to be really special and connect with on some level as part of my personality. Because that's a typical description of what autistic people say they feel about their special interests, that it becomes a part of their personality. So that craft piece, I would describe myself as crafty or as an artist, because those things are so much a part of who I am, of what makes up Amanda. They're really special to me. So when we're talking about a special interest, think of that all-consuming activity like a hyperfixation that we were discussing before, but for longer periods of time, because a special interest is going to sit there and exist as part of your identity in that way for a larger chunk of time. For example, in middle school through high school, I was really into Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, like really, really into pirates. I had POTC clothing, pajamas, folders, binders, playing cards. 
I had the action figures. I had posters all over my room. I would spend hours on the internet watching early YouTube video mashups of them putting all the different parts of the movies together. I would spend hours upon hours consuming the movies on DVD over and over and over again. But this didn't last for six months. And this was most definitely a part of my identity growing up was that I was a pirate. <laughs> Seriously, I, I really did say that I was a pirate. Um, I had a sign on my door that was like, only pirates can enter, only ye pirates, or I don't know. It was just, you know, I took it to that high intensity. It was a special interest. What can I say? <laughs> Funny enough, I uh, I found an old diary uh, not that long ago, um, and the diary on the cover has Will Turner and Jack Sparrow, because why wouldn't it? It was from that time frame. <laughs> uh, and, you know, not that I kept meticulous notes in this diary because, hey, I have ADHD. And it's so funny because the first page of it even says that. It's like, I really wish that I would keep up with a diary. That would be really cool. But I can't seem to do that. But maybe this time. And then it lasted for like two weeks. And then that was it. Um, until I think I wrote one day down at the end of the school year. <laughs> but hey, it had pirates on there. And like I said, this was such a high level of interest for me. I mean, I even expanded it into starting to learn about the pirate lore. Um, now, again, I have ADHD, so I don't remember all of it because it's not a massive area of special interest anymore. Now it's just a part of my life that I still connect with. I still love watching the movies, um, but it doesn't have to exist in the way that I felt it did when I was younger. Now, here's the thing that can make some of these distinctions a little more confusing. Where is the neurotypical line? Where is it ADHD? And where does it become an autism thing? So a neurotypical hobby is just something that they might pick up to do during their free time, but it doesn't consume their thoughts outside of that time. It's not something that they research for hours and hours necessarily, and it's also not something that they're going to impulsively dump all kinds of money into. They do it when they can, they enjoy it, but it's also not going to be like having this painful breakup if they can no longer do it again. They might love it. They might feel passionate about it, but it's just a hobby. It's something that sits there on the side to be done as a leisure activity. Now, this isn't to say that you can't be neurotypical and turn hobbies into careers or into greater areas of interest. But for the sake of today, talking about hobbies versus hyperfixations versus special interests, it is definitely important to note that a hobby is just something that you enjoy doing that just exists over there. And here's the thing. You can be neurodivergent and have just hobbies that you enjoy. So a hobby that I enjoy is board games. I do not feel like I obsessively need to collect them. I don't need to hyperfixate and research, you know, all kinds of different board games. But, you know, it is something that I will happily do in my free time if someone else asks me to. 
but it's not a special interest either where I feel like, you know, oh, I'm I'm a board game enthusiast. It's not part of my identity. It's not something that I am so obsessive and intensely interested in. So there is most definitely a line there. But I do also think it's important for us to discuss the guilt that comes with hyperfixations and special interests. Because these things can be so all-consuming, because these things can really shock our systems and make us just be so obsessive over them, we can have a certain level of guilt that can be associated with it, where we're feeling guilty that we're not using our time more productively, where we feel guilty that we're not participating in our relationships because we are so heavily engrossed in that interest or fixation. Also, on the ADHD side especially, um, but not limited to ADHD because impulse control is an executive function and you can be just autistic and have executive dysfunction, which means you can also have impulse control challenges just being autistic as well. However, it is important to note that there is a really high comorbidity rate between ADHD and autism. So if you're having a lot of impulse control struggles and you have an autism diagnosis but not an ADHD diagnosis, it doesn't hurt to talk with your provider to find out if ADHD might also be at play. But I do want to make that distinction that it doesn't necessarily have to be part of it. You know, when we're talking about autism criteria, ADHD criteria, it is really important to be conscious of the fact that you might have one or two things that you see a crossover with, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are that other category. Um, the reason that I am autistic in addition to ADHD is because I meet multiple areas of autism criteria. It's not because, oh, well, I just have some difficulty socially in my history or not just because, oh, I have some sensory struggles. One or two things can absolutely be just their own independent issue, but it's when we have multiple areas that meet criteria for either diagnosis that it's, okay, maybe I'm going to go talk to my provider now. But anyway, there goes my impulsivity with my ADHD. <laughs> Did you know that like little side tangents like that are part of impulse control issues? Yep, they are. So anyway, to redirect us back to the guilt, um, it is definitely an area that we can have persistent issues with. One thing, though, that I really like to look at hyperfixations as is like a concert. So if you have a band or an artist that you really, really love, you would likely pay, you know, a couple hundred dollars to go and see them perform. Once in a lifetime opportunity, right? You have to see that concert. And usually, you won't give yourself all kinds of crap for going and seeing your favorite performer. You'll go, you'll spend the few hours there, and you will love every second of that experience. Because what you have just paid for is the experience. Now, what I found, though, with so many of my clients, especially the ADHD ones who go in and out of hyperfixations every few months, weeks, whatever, um, they're shifting quickly between these different hobbies and they're getting mad at themselves because, oh, I just spent $75 on those craft supplies and I only used them for like six months. 
okay, but you would spend more than that to have a few hours of an experience. And if that $75 didn't cause you additional harm in any way, you know, it's just money that didn't go into savings that maybe could have gone into savings. If it's not having a massive impairment to your lifestyle, then why is that $75 such a bad thing? Because what you've paid for is the experience to really enjoy that fixation for a few weeks. I did a webinar um, actually over a year ago now uh, hosted by Dr. Hallowell. And he was teaching in the class, you know, he was talking a little bit about his new book, uh, ADHD 2.0, which I have not gotten to read actually yet. It's on my list. (laughs) Um, But he was talking at the beginning of the, the webinar about how recently he just got into tarot. And he had mentioned how, you know, so many ADHDers get mad at themselves for getting excited about these new things. But he looks at it from a whole different perspective. Now, mind you, he does have the privilege of, you know, having a an established business, selling several books. So financially, he's in a pretty secure place to be able to do this. Um, and like I said, if it's going to be making an impact in those areas, then definitely making sure that we're being conscious of that is important. But if you have the privilege to not be completely broken by spending some money on a new hyperfixation, then you really truly are paying for the experience. So he was saying he's into tarot and he's excited about it right now, but when his brain is no longer excited about it, he's not going to get mad at himself because his brain was happy for the days that he was interested in it. And he was like, I don't even know where it came from. I I just really wanted to read tarot cards all of a sudden one day. So I went out and I bought myself a deck of tarot cards and I allowed the experience to exist. So as long as these hyperfixations or special interests, because they can become, you know, that obsessive nature as well, where they can be all consuming, but again, for those longer periods of time, as long as they're not causing us harm. As long as we're not missing opportunities to be with loved ones, um, as long as we're not putting ourselves into deeper and deeper piles of debt that are going to be really hard for us to get out of, if we have the privilege to do so, then enjoy yourself, participate in the things that you love. And if you don't have the privilege to do so, then see if there's a way that you can still participate in those things to a degree. Instead of going on Amazon and filling your cart with $200 worth of painting supplies, go to a yard sale. See if anyone is getting rid of any old blank canvases or canvases that you can just slap a coat of plain white or black paint all over to make it a clean slate kind of and, you know, go from there. You know, maybe you don't have the money to go and buy a fancy set of paints, but you do have the money to go to Walmart and spend $5 on, you know, one of those, what is it, Apple Blossom or whatever, um, cheaper acrylic paints, and then get some cornstarch and thicken it up. There are workarounds that we can utilize to meet ourselves closer to the interests that we enjoy. Another great workaround is the internet. We can watch other people participating in these hobbies. We can learn about them. We can gather the knowledge and information so that when we have the ability later to fully engage with them, we've 
got that information and we are ready to go. I mean, think about it. No kid starts with the special interest of dinosaurs and then expects to be riding on a dinosaur. Okay, well, maybe they would want to. But <laughs> logically, you know, they know at a certain point that dinosaurs don't exist. However, that doesn't mean that they can't still love that special interest and participate with it at some point later on. So no, we can't run around with dinosaurs, but we can buy clothes that have dinosaurs on them. We can, you know, have fun usernames that incorporate dinosaurs. We can, uh, you know, watch movies like Jurassic Park and sit and <laughs> go through all the science that is correct or false, very false in those movies. We can share the knowledge that we have. And then one day we might have the money to actually go to a dig site or go to at least a museum that has artifacts and fossils that are part of that prehistoric age. There are ways that we can grow into the interests, even if it's not super accessible for where we're at now. I know that's my personal experience. When I started getting really into jewelry, I didn't have a ton of funds to go and dive in and be fully engrossed in the hobby in the way that I wanted to be. So what I did instead was start with a couple of small things, you know, spent $10 here on a few strands of beads that were on clearance and then spent a few bucks there on uh, some clay pieces and then started putting it all together. And then as I put together a few cool things, I sold those things and then got more money that I could then put back into buying more of the thing that I loved. It's so funny because I ran this jewelry business for several years. And one of the biggest things that I bought with all of those profits was more things to continue to participate in that special interest. Um, and jewelry is its own little category of crafts where it was the overarching special interest where I spent hours and hours researching and learning all that I could. I mean, there's so many people that say that a special interest can basically be its own mini college degree because we can dive in so deeply into that knowledge and information. But I would spend all of this time on Pinterest and on YouTube learning how to do different things. And then the hyperfixations were, you know, I had periods of time where I was really fixated on using just clay to make jewelry. And then I had a fixation on resin jewelry. And then I had a fixation on wire wrap jewelry. You know, I had fixations on different ways to put the beads together. Um, so it was really common for my Audi HD experience to have that special interest that then had the mini little hyperfixation bursts in between where I tried so many different new things within that larger category. So that's just a really cool part of that dual diagnosis experience that I've really enjoyed over the years. So I would actually love to hear from you guys. What are your favorite special interests or hyperfixation phases that you've gone through? And would you describe the end of those phases as a breakup? If you're interested in sharing, I would love to hear you guys reach out by shooting an email over to the ADHD lady at gmail.com or even sending an email through the contact me uh, side of my website. But that is it for today, friends. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. Don't forget, again, to like and subscribe and hit that button on here and on those socials.
And don't forget my social skills class coming up in two weekends. You can sign up via email or via my website. I hope to see you all there. And thank you again. This is your host, Amanda, signing off.